We've been holding our breath for hours now, but it's hard to do a podcast without breathing. (coughs) This is America's most breathless podcast, The Pod People. I'm silent but deadly, Matisse Van Rossum. I'm Ben Sheets, and I have one question for you guys. Who let the dogs out? And I'm Cleveland Mosier, and, well, I'm just basting away in Margaritaville. (laughs) That's really good. (laughs) And this week, we're coming at you with Ben's Choice, which is the 2016 film Don't Breathe, written and directed by Fede Alvarez and starring Stephen Lang, Jane Levy, Dylan Minnette, and Daniel Zavato. And it's the story of some fucking punks who try to rob a blind veteran. In Detroit City. In Detroit City. Ben, why did you want to talk about Don't Breathe? I really love this film. I think it's one of the most underrated movies of the 2010s. It was number eight in my top ten horror movies of the decade. I think this movie is a really amazing mixture of... Hitchcockian thriller and sleazy exploitation. It's a hard thing to nail those two without it leaning too far one way or the other. This movie is really stylish and really awesome, and I'm super excited to talk about it more than anything. I remember going to see this in theaters, and I thought it was fucking awesome. I remember seeing the previews and thinking like, oh yeah, that looks like a cool, fun horror movie, uh, and it turned out to exceed my expectations, and it was a really nice uh, rewatch. Uh, I forgot how really tense and harrowing certain sequences are. Uh, Cleveland, how did it strike you on a first viewing? Well, it was pretty good. While it was my first viewing, when the film came out, my reaction to the trailer was very similar to yours, Tease, which was kind of meh, thinking like, oh, that looks like it could be good. Maybe not. And uh, at the time, I was living in a cabin in the middle of nowhere and had uh, really no opportunities to go out and see movies. So I just caught a review of it, thinking that I I wouldn't be watching it anytime soon. I didn't have any interest in it. But while painting and stuff, like sometimes that stuff comes up in my YouTube feed. So I I did know how the film ended, which I know as a a reviewer and whatnot, uh, that that is in really bad form. Too bad. Deal with it. That's what happened. Uh, yeah, people get <laughs> movies spoiled for them all the time, you know? it. Well, it, it's, it's one thing, like, to have a movie spoiled for you. It's one thing just, like, to out go out of your way to just, like, find out, you know, like, to learn what the ending is without having seen the film and whatever, but... Yeah, I do want to say... If, if I'm you, not interested in seeing the film, like, if I'll, you I'll catch reviews. Don't know the ending to this movie i would recommend watching it and not having it spoiled that's good subversion yeah i think so uh i will take a second to go off on a slight tangent that i think like the whole idea of like spoilers being a big deal is kind of overrated because i think that like a good film will still be good regardless of whether you know the ending beforehand or not see and the thing is is i think that's uh, a good example of it this is a great film for that because i had a wonderful time watching it for the first time knowing the ending uh like it it did not ruin it for me in any way i think the twists are incidental or rather secondary to like the ride yes and and also like knowing what happens and seeing what happens very different 
very different because True. you can you can hear about one of the sequences in this film. It painted a a, a very different picture in my mind. Sorry, I changed tense halfway through that, but <laughs> and also subject. Um, <laughs> I I heard uh, about one of the sequences in this film, and it painted a bad picture in my head, and I didn't want to see it because I thought that was pretty like uh, I didn't think it was very tasteful and, and not for me, but. Then I had to watch it for the podcast, and I thought it was fine. I, I think I think it was well enough handled. Execution is important. We've said it before, and we'll say well, it again. I have plenty of thoughts on that sequence, and I think anybody who knows this movie knows which sequence we're talking about, but I think it's a very bad place to start with this <laughs> yes. movie. Yeah, which <laughs> I, I think we can dance around it and move let's, on. And then, uh, hey, now, if you're listening and it. you don't know... <gasps> We've we've set up some tension. We've we've set up some uh, <laughs> an arc. You know, yes. uh, you know that we're going to talk about something later on in the episode. Crazy that. So this film is set in uh, the industrial wasteland of Detroit, Michigan. Uh, this is not the first time on the podcast we've had to apologize to our Detroit listeners, <laughs> and it probably won't be the last. But we are sorry. Honestly, I'm just I, sorry you're living in Detroit. Yeah, really, but like I mean, you know, I really love Detroit as a, as a setting for horror movies. It follows did that. Yep. Don't breathe does that. Um, I think that uh, just like it, Detroit as a landscape and like the context of this country's history and how like the the country really fail has really failed that city and continues to over and over again and how that like affects. You know, it has an environment and the people who live there, really good. Our protagonists are uh, cat burglars breaking into people's houses, stealing valuables. Our main one is uh, Rocky, who's played by uh, Jane, Jane Levy. And uh, then her boyfriend, Money, uh, who is a, uh, a James Franco in Spring Breakers-esque uh, kind of punk... Uh, white dude with cornrows, uh, with cornrows uh, and his name is Money. Um, and then there is our uh, our nice guy Alex, who only does this because he wants to help Rocky out in the hopes that you know she'll realize how shitty her current boyfriend is. And you know, very very traditional uh, nice guy. Nice guy. I was going to use that story. word too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there's no other way to describe. Yeah, him. he's a nice guy while we were watching this i couldn't stop making the <laughs> the please ma'am just a crumb of pussy joke because <laughs> he's uh and and honestly uh we'll and we'll get to this later it works for the film it, I, it's yeah. not tired in the movie i like the way that the film handles it too yeah. and resolves mm -hmm. it because like that character is especially like in in like modern film that character i think is kind of detestable in his own way uh, I think all of these characters are relatively unlikable by design. Yeah, that's what I really love about this movie. I don't think there's any particularly likable characters. You know, like, you could argue Jane Levy, because of the situation that she's right. in, is worse than what she's doing. For sure. Is likable because of that, but she's not a good character. Oh, she's you know? flawed though. I like that. Yeah, about she's her. she's the most sympathetic and the most and the most relatable. I think enough that like we are invested in what happens to her, but still she's flawed enough to feel real. I like that her and Money's big goal 
is to get enough cash to go to California. Right. And I'm just like, oh, you sweet summer child. It's like, what are you going to do once you get to California? Where Probably things are more expensive. Uh, right. Great. Just start robbing richer people, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we see that her home life is shitty. Her mom's a drunk. Her I stepdad is You develop a, a lot of sympathy for her in that scene. Yeah, too. her stepdad's uh, a Nazi. Got a big old swastika tattooed on the back yeah. of his hand. Uh, so that's how we know we're supposed to dislike him. Uh, and, you know, but she's got a, a little sister who she really wants to get out of that situation. So, you know, she's got to rob so that she can... Uh, take her sister away and go to California so they can go to the beach together. Meanwhile, Alex, who is like the, the nice tender, caring character is like, he's really just in it for selfish reasons, which is why I, I, I think he, despite how obnoxious money is, I think Alex might be the most unlikable character or the yes. character that I like in this movie. The least I think, I think uh, casting was great too. the, that actor, he, he has these like doughy eyes, like these, yeah. like those little baby deer, this little fawn. Um, and during like the particularly horrifying sequences, like whenever it's, it cuts to him and his wide eyes, it's very effective. Like it, it works quite well. He's, he's quite a competent actor. I think everyone in this film, uh, yeah. does a mm -hmm. spectacular job in the moment. Well, um, they, uh, they get a tip that this, uh, this old man, a blind, uh, Gulf war veteran who lives alone in like on like the last occupied house of like a totally derelict street. He's got some, uh, some settlement money from when uh, a rich girl killed his daughter in a car accident. So the street is isolated. He's blind. He's old and he's sitting on a gold mine. So they think, Oh yeah, easy. We'll just break into his house get away with the money and then we're you know sure sailing to california and obviously things do not quite go as planned as it turns out that uh this blind man is uh somewhat of a shinobi <laughs> i really love how tight all of the introduction is uh it's a good like five ten minutes um, yeah they get into the house about 15 minutes in yeah it's really no nonsense which they i don't, appreciate yeah they don't take too much time introducing the characters they give you enough to understand the backstory and sympathize with them but overall i think the pacing of this movie is really excellent and that's a great example of that it would have been tired to spend too much more time setting it up at the beginning yeah. straight like, to the action because the, the premise doesn't take much thought no it's it's simple and it's efficient and i like that about it and i don't think fede alvarez is the best dialogue writer um he's not terrible but i appreciate that like set up the main characters and the events quickly get into the house and then there's not a lot of like real dialogue dialogue you know especially because most of the movie is about them you know, trying to be quiet to avoid his sort of like unnaturally uh attuned sense of hearing like so, daredevil yeah the marvel right. superhero Yep, we should mention that the the blind man is played by Stephen Lang, who's really awesome in this movie. He's really awesome um, in everything I've seen him in. Yeah, he's always like he always shows up, even in bad films. Yeah, uh, well, okay, yeah, that's true. I was gonna say, uh, in regards to Avatar, but I guess he probably is one of the better parts of that movie. Oh wait, he's in Avatar. Yeah, he's the the, the last Airbender. No, 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 uh, the James Cameron. Oh, uh, he's the the Colonel. Yeah, the evil uh, Colonel. They're the same movie, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> what? <damn>. what? <laughs> 
I don't know. De- Let's not, not even not good CG. I don't know. Like, not even gonna get into that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's fantastic in this, and like he has to do a lot of like physical acting because he doesn't have many lines at least until like uh, towards the end, and he's great. I love the way that they they set up him as kind of like a. Uh, almost like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Like he seems to be like a, at at the beginning, like a feeble, scared old blind man. Like who are these people in his house? And then just like very quickly just becomes like a, a, killing machine you know what this film reminded me of a great deal it's like a much more down-to-earth collector because the collector yeah kind of also has a burglar protagonist yeah you're right and he goes in and uh turns out you know the he's not robbing the house the house is robbing him (laughs) of his life (laughs) and uh i i appreciate that like because i i don't think i've seen it again i've seen it recently like i I feel like a lot of the stuff in the collector is like in in, done in poor taste but there are some fun ideas in that movie Uh, i remember seeing that in theaters when i was but a wee lad and edgy and loved edgy things and uh i even saw the sequel in theaters yes yeah that i didn't do uh i never saw that it was bad yeah i believe it you know it's uh it was creative and fun and kind of goofy and I, I think that this is what that film was trying to be in a lot of ways you know what i what i will say before we started recording uh when we were talking about it ben you described it as like the reverse home alone mm-hmm. uh which i i'm not trapped in here with you you're trapped in here with me right and i i, I think that that is a a semi-accurate analog but like he doesn't really set up traps for them which I'm kind of glad about Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's much less silly. Definitely. If you yeah. want, like, a more direct reverse Home Alone, look at something like People Under the Stairs. Or The Collector. Uh, the collector. Or the yeah. collector. That, that is the ultimate um, reverse Home Alone. We'll cover People Under the Stairs at some point, because that is straight-up slapstick at points. Um, oh, but fun. this movie, yeah, it, it's very straight-faced yeah. for the most part. A lot of the action comes from the tension of him being blind yeah, and that missing element working into a lot of the tense moments and scares, um, but I think it works really well, and it's the better for it. I appreciate too that like his sense of hearing is heightened, but not like supernatural. It's it's not like Daredevil, like he's not able to like build a sonic picture of the room, you know. Like so many of the tense scenes are you know, like, trying to be quiet as he's, like, trying to find them in a room and, like, him waving the gun around and, like, passing it over them and stopping on them and then, like, something happens and he shoots off in a different direction and uh, I I love all of that stuff. Yeah, the, the audio, I think, sells it. You are so keyed into the sound uh, always. The tension is built around those, like, those big pauses of silence and waiting for what the next sound you're going to hear is. And it's a little done but here it was always done well so i i never mind definitely never minded it i enjoyed it every time well and one of the interesting things is i think this movie works well in a home viewing experience but i think it works particularly well with an audience especially in a theater setting with a because, good sound system because yeah. this film is so immersive and stylistic that with a good audience people will be quiet 
and it'll really elevate the tension a good and audience. the scares. Yeah. 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 Because I know when we saw it, we did have a good audience, if I remember correctly. And the scares yeah. were elevated because it was so silent in the theater and everyone was trying to listen to the point recall, that were happening. If I recall happening. correctly, we were also lucky enough to not have a loud film next door because yes. that's that's <laughs> always the danger of a movie like this or something like um, A Quiet Place or Hush like in the theater is in the really quiet moments. If Black Panther is playing next door, then, it, you know... It, it's easy to get distracted. One thing uh, that was also on my mind, on on the brain before going in to see this film, uh, is that I was worried that it was going to paint folks with disabilities in like a monstrous light again, a la Glass, a la Name Your Film. Yeah. And I don't think this film does. What makes him a monster is not that he's blind. No, like, like, definitely That is definitely not it. I think it it is an is a it's a very cool element that has been added in and it uh it's well thought out and it it plays in well to the the tension and the creativity and the the puzzle solving of each sequence masterfully and uh without ever i think shining a bad light on blind people you could make a, a Frankly, I think a dumb argument. Uh, you could, but you could make an argument for like the shots of his like his like kind of glossed over pupils as being like spooky, and that being like, oh, blind people scary, but uh, fuck you, like it's well, fine. blind like, in this case, I think it works because blind people scary because he's an Iraq war vet who got his eyes blown out by a grenade. Yeah, yeah. You know? plus other things. Yeah. yeah. Most definitely. Um, no, 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 absolutely. Like, in this case, spooky because of that. And so, personally, I, I think it, it passes, like, it, it passes full marks just fine. But worth mm-hmm. worth mentioning, because there are a lot of films that don't, that yeah. miss that little pratfall. That kind of goes back to the point I was making, is that he's not like a bat, you know? <laughs> he's not a caricature. It, he's not, you know? yeah, he's not yeah. a caricature. It, he's not like a supernatural beast, he is a man with a very acute sense of his surroundings, who has, like, extensive combat training and is also, like, clearly extremely mentally unstable. Uh, and he feels like a realistic villain. And what I like about that, at least until certain things are made clear, is that... For a while, I don't think he's even really the villain. Like, these these fucking burglars are, like, they've broken into his house. They're trying to steal his money. Like, they're taking advantage of him. Yeah, and they know he's <laughs> blind before they break in, you know? Right. They're taking advantage of someone who is seemingly... You know, yeah, they're taking uh, advantage of his disability vulnerable. in order to, yeah, in order to to rob him, which is why I I am so glad that the film doesn't like try to paint these people as like virtuous robbers. Once again, Rocky kind of is like you know she has she has her good reasons for doing what she does, but like but money, her actions yeah. aren't good, right? Exactly. You know, and one thing I really love about how they set up him and the house and spatial awareness is uh when they first break into the house they have this really really long uh one take of them casing out the whole house and it just tracks with the characters as they explore every nook and cranny 
And having that right when they go in the house is so important for this movie to build spatial awareness. Yeah. Because I feel like after that point, we kind of understand where they are within the house at any given moment. Yeah, we as the audience know the layout because it doesn't cut when they're casing it. So, like, we know the paths that they can take to get to the exits and stuff. And it makes the space feel so much more real and physical. And I think it especially works because, uh, like you were saying, before things take a turn about... I don't know, halfway into the movie. Yeah, probably. Uh, we kind of sympathize with the blind guy uh, because we almost see through his eyes and his yeah. sense of spatial awareness of his own house. Also, like, he doesn't seem to, like, take pleasure in what he's doing. Like, it, he does feel, like, tense and afraid and, like, trying to protect you know, his territory, his home, for lack of a better word. So it's not just like, all of a sudden, he just becomes a ruthless killing machine that can find you in the dark just by listening for you, you know? <laughs> like, well, it has that the, wouldn't have been interesting, I don't think. It it has that same feeling of, uh, like, the, the adventurers, like, going into the dragon's lair, right? And the dragon is guarding its clutch, you know, like it's it's eggs. It's uh, Smaug. Smaug, exactly. <laughs> Burglars. Um, you know, I uh, was actually looking up uh, Smaug quotes earlier to try and, <laughs> uh, in uh, lieu of that. But uh, I, I I think the the vibe is very similar. This this film left me wanting that out of a movie. Like I'd I'd love to see a a fantasy film with the same premise i think that in the hands of a competent director like you could have something pretty thrilling there you know like it's a tale as old as time but i think uh you could you could add a lot of tension if you you brought it the the fantasy of it into the horror genre yeah i could see that for sure one thing i really love about the sense of tension and uh timelessness like you said of this the story of this film is I mentioned it earlier, but it feels very Hitchcockian. Yeah. In that it doesn't feel particularly flashy in a lot of respects. It, you know, has its conceptual base and it plays into that. And it sticks to that path for the most part. I feel like this follows the lineage of Hitchcock or something like Wait Until Dark. It's not terribly high concept, but they they follow it in execution and they stick to their guns. And I really respect that. Um, Yeah, I like the simplicity. Like you mentioned earlier, Cleve, this movie is built upon sound in a lot of ways. I think the soundtrack is really critical um, to this film. And I think uh, it does a fantastic job of building tension by using everyday sounds in the scoring. Mm -hmm. This film really has like great attention to detail. That's one of the things that I appreciate about it the most. Like it's extremely thorough in its world building. The long take of like going through the house shows showcases that really well, but also like other little details, like all of the walls have are like worn at hand height from where he's been like feeling his way down oh, them cool. like all these years and uh like just shit like that is 
so good. They don't draw attention to it, but you can tell that they thought about it. And that's what I really appreciate is like where, where that that intent is there in the set design. My favorite sequence in the movie is when he's chasing them in the basement after he's turned mm-hmm. the lights out. First of all, I really respect this film's decision to do like a grayscale like night vision filter for I that I think sequence. it's one of the best dark view sequences I've I, seen. Yes. I agree. I wish more films had the balls to do that because Well, I'm so sick of the green, you know, night yeah. vision goggle view. I'm sick of the green, but I mean usually that's motivated by like people using night vision goggles, but usually what they do for places that are like dark is they're just overlit so like we can see them but then the the actors are act like reaching around like they can't see anything and there's that kind of like disconnect between like the characters and the audience and something like this it's like yeah the lights go out we just switch to like a grayscale night vision and it's still dim and dark enough to be scary but also like it actually does feel like they're in the dark one of the things that I loved about it, like the the camera that they were using, had a very limited range on it. So within just a couple of feet, things just fell back into darkness. Yeah. So even though we're in a room that's that's only like, you know, maybe 30 feet, you know, squared, like 20, 25 feet, like it's not very big. And there are like rows of... Um, shelves. Shelving, you know, like old like hardware shelving and stuff. Like it feels massive. Like, this space feels huge because, like, things just immediately disappear into the darkness. And it it gives you that same sense that, like, looking off into the depths of a ravine, you know, does. Like, that sense of, like, thalassophobia, almost, of, like, what's lurking in the depths beyond. Like, which which is, in this case, only, like, four feet away. Very cool. Uh, it It was quite effective. It's a really clever reversal of the spatial awareness we get in the above ground version of the house yeah you know because uh during that sequence we obviously see the basement is locked and so obviously the camera doesn't go down there whatsoever and things are revealed down there uh but also once it the lights are turned out we don't have an awareness of the space yeah i would say even with the lights on like you don't have a great awareness of the layout of the basement i like that as kind of a a foil to giving you sort of the blueprint of the upper two floors of the house to go back to your point cleave about how shallow like the light the depth of the light is in that where he's just kind of like listening around for them and then just kind of like drops back into the dark and then like we see rocky like groping her way through and he sort of like materializes again and she's getting closer and closer to like reaching out and touching him and the only thing that saves her is alex in the other room like calling her name and the blind man like shoots in that direction like right before her fingers touch him so she knows he's there all of a sudden deus alex machina (laughs) (laughs) god yeah that's that's for sure the the highlight of the film for me is that sequence i i wish i wish more movies would do shit like that well shall we start talking uh narrative subversions a little bit start boiler alert start talking about the blind man as like the true villain 
Sure. Um, well, you thought uh, the darkness you know, was the, your ally. The whole inciting bit about him having money comes from some rich girl hit his daughter mm-hmm. uh, drunk driving or something. And she didn't go to jail, but instead they they paid him out a settlement. And so he had like what they thought was like $300,000 in cash. Turns out even more than that. More like a million, yeah. yeah. They make their way down to the basement and they find the girl who uh, ran over his daughter chained up in the basement. Yeah, he has a, a dungeon down there. I I love the way that they set up the basement just in general. Like when they first get into the house, they assume, oh, the money's down in the basement because there's a huge padlock on the basement door. Like, why would he be trying to protect that so much? And, you know, after he's killed money and he's, like, first, uh, you know, checking the house to see if anybody else is there, we see that, oh, he's got a safe in the closet where Rocky is hiding. That's where all the money is. And then they cut from the safe to the basement door with the padlock. And it's like, well, if the money's up here, then what What's could down be there? what could be down in the basement? What could it be? Love that uh, that first little subversion. And then it's like... Oh, yeah. Well, he's actually got this woman chained up down here. And, you know, they release her and try to get out, and he shows up and accidentally shoots her. And then he's. What? He's sad about it. He's sad about killing the the girl who killed his daughter. What's, what's going on there? And then the ultimate <laughs> subversion. The yikes twist. Uh. Content warning, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Uh, rape and weird sex stuff yep. uh, uh, ahead. Rapey waters ahead. Turns out that he was actually keeping her down there. To... <laughs> Yar, matey. Yeah, yeah. Yikes. Uh, Avast, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> turns out he was actually keeping her down there to uh, impregnate her so she could give him a new child to make up for the one that she took from him. Mm-hmm. And that's why he was sad that, she, that he accidentally killed her because she was pregnant. We find this out when he's captured Rocky and, like, strung her up in like his weird uh bdsm dungeon well okay so you say bdsm dungeon and it is that yeah but what's cool about it he's got her strung up in like a sex harness it's yeah well actually to paint a picture i don't think it's a sex harness i'm pretty sure it's a a parachute strap like it's a it's a military issue military Um, grade like a parachute harness and the look of the the basement itself is if it wasn't for the person strung up, almost kind of homey. It's got like well, the, well, I, I think the context, the setting, the music, etc. But like it looks lived in. It looks like it's well, got like it's got like plants on the left and right, and the the place where she's bound up is like covered in padding like all the way around. Those are couch cushions. Yes, yeah, like couch cushions, like a little reading nook. You know, uh, <laughs> the, the, weird. Man. I don't want to go to your reading. No, <laughs> no, me either. No, it, uh, to me, it's very creepy. Well, it's horrifying. And I think it's more horrifying. What I'm trying to say is it's more horrifying because of that. Like, because it's not a BD, it's not a German dungeon porn dungeon. It's like couch cushions and plants 
that makes it scarier is what I'm saying. Like it's spookier because of that. Yeah. Cause he's trying, he's trying to like justify himself as like not an evil person. I mean, which, which he, makes him way spookier, which he, which he, which he certainly is. But you know, when he has rock, when he has Rocky strung up, he, makes a point of saying i'm not a rapist see this is what i was gonna get into yeah, uh, like, a moment he's like, ago he's like i'm not a rapist as I he's never, grabbing the turkey baster i've never forced myself on anybody but yeah his definition of not a rapist just means that like, no penetration but yeah, here's the instead, thing like instead uh, he's been saving his cum in fucking uh in a fridge and he fills a big old turkey baster up with it. It's, Here's it's the thing. nasty, man. Here's the thing. I that's, have mixed feelings about this whole sequence. That's, that's called rape with extra steps. Yeah, I, it's still rape. Like, there, yeah, there, on, on what planet is that not rape? I feel like that sequence would have been spookier without the dialogue, honestly. If we'd just been left to, like, come to that conclusion on our own and just seen him with the baster and been like, what the fuck is going on? And had him not explain what was going on, it would have been spookier. I don't know if I agree. I actually think the dialogue is pretty solid there with the uh, there uh, is no god the, the the no god stuff. I actually I think this whole sequence is really sleazy, but I think it works really well because there is an internal logic to his thought. You know, even if it's twisted and terrible. It doesn't feel comic book villain in the respect that, you know, you can track why he's thinking that, even though it's awful and terrible. Um, I, I do think the production design adds to it a lot, too, because of the couch cushions. It feels like a padded room, you know, like an insane asylum yeah. almost. And the uh, the clinical fluorescence really add to that. It's effective. There, there's, there's little doubt. And I would say it is more tasteful than your standard, like, rapey villain like oh they're bad you know so we have to get them you know they have to be rapey tasteful is but, maybe not the well, word i would use. more tasteful <laughs> more tasteful than a rapey villain which is bottom bar i'm saying that's not much it's still wretched and it's See, still think- like all the rest of it and, and and even like even exploitative but is it for the subject matter is it well handled i think so i mean i think it it is executed in an extremely effective way. I think that his attempted justification for what he's doing uh, makes it worse. Which yes, is why I think the dialogue makes it it's, scarier. Oh, yeah, mm. it's I I I would actually agree because like. <sighs> Not to advocate for rapey characters in movies, but it's like, it's that kind of thing is so done that I think that there's almost an expectation for that, for like the the villain to be rapey and then to have him try to be like, ah, but I'm actually not a rapist is like, I think that that's grosser i think i think that that's more horrifying and while i i think that the scene is very effective in that like it really skeeves me out and it's obviously uh intended to do that i do kind of question its necessity in this and movie that's what i was i was gonna ask is like do you do you think yeah, that I it's in that question it, to the, the film is better with or without it and i'm definitely asking it because at this moment, I'm not totally sure. Here's the thing. That's the sequence that I knew about going into this film. I was like, oh, great, yeah. turkey baster, uh, gross, I'm not here for this. 
and it was way better handled than what was in my head, than the the picture that was painted for me before seeing this film. I thought, if you're going to do something like that, like, this is the way to do it, but I wonder if you should do it at all. And that's, that's sort that's of the question. Of where I, that's kind of and where I'm I, don't, I don't have an answer for that. I, I'm, I'm just going to leave it as a question, I think. I, I don't feel like I, I, I need to answer that or I have any authority on whether I should, but, like, it's just, eh, is it necessary? You know, I, I think this is a brutal, nasty little film in terms of set and characters and character motivation. And to have things escalate to something that is truly horrifying pushes it from Hitchcockian thriller to true pulpy genre horror. And for that reason, I think it works. If you left it out, it would still be a tense thriller, but it wouldn't be a horror movie in the same respect. And I think there's a catharsis in the reversal that happens with the turkey baster. Certainly there is. Yeah, there did need to be something in the basement. And so much of the latter half of the film revolves around this premise. It would be extremely difficult to remove from the movie. Well, I don't... I mean, I think you could just have... You could just have him, like, imprison and tortured, like, the, the woman who killed his daughter, and it would serve basically the same narrative purpose. Would it be as effective? That's where I don't really have an answer on it. Like, I questioned the necessity of that scene when the, the first time I saw it, and I still do now, and I don't know if I have a better answer, because, like, it's le- genuinely, like, the most disturbing and harrowing scene in the film, and for that, like, it's extremely effective in what it sets out to do, but I still think there's so much good shit in this movie that not a whole lot would be lost without it, and that's why... That's why I say, like, ah, I don't know. Is it there just to be sleazy and gross? Like, does it serve a higher purpose in the film? Does it really elevate the film that much? Yeah. Or is it shock value? I'd, or is it shock value? Mm-hmm. And in that sense, like, it is an exploitation film for sure. Like, a lot of a lot of exploitation films are about that shock value. And I think it does have its place. I I really don't know. I really don't know, and I don't think that I'm qualified to say so one way or another. I think it it varies. I think that that scene could be very difficult for, you know, people who have, like, experienced sexual violence, and... I, that's why I'm always wary of of scenes like that, like needing to serve a higher purpose. Because like, if you're gonna subject people to something like that, I think it should have a reason. So I don't know. That's just kind of my two cents. It's also just like a oh, we get we get that he's a monstrous person. He's bad. It's a movie, and you know he's he's gone off his rocker. But just find a a donor. You know, like like it's that it's a it's a thing you can do like like there are there are way easier ways but i guess it has to be the girl who took his daughter or whatever so it's like "Eh, well that's that's why i think it it works for me is because i think it's legitimately scary whereas if you just had the girl in the basement and he was torturing her it's terrible and it's awful but that you can see his logic i think i think yeah i think the reason it's effective in this movie that he did what he did is because 
you can still see the train of logic in his mind, but it's so much more twisted beyond any sort of justification. Honestly, part of me kind of like wishes that he wasn't just so blatantly monstrous. Like, I I enjoy that sort of, like, dichotomy of who am I supposed to root for here. As long as everyone's intriguing, yeah. I agree. And here everyone is. Like, I I want these characters, like, I want Rocky to be able to get her sister out of, you know, the the terrible household she lives in. But also, like, this man has been, you know, has, has lost a lot and has been traumatized. And, like, they're breaking into his house and taking advantage of him and stealing from him. And I like, I like that, like, I don't know who's really in the right here. And I think that, like, the the woman in the basement and then especially, like, the, the turkey baster thing removes that distinction entirely. It takes him and makes him entirely monstrous no redemptive qualities any longer whatsoever. It's like, this is the villain. And in a respect, I can appreciate that. In another, I think it it kind of removes some nuance. I don't know. It's I, just the, I mean, the movie's so good. Like it's hard for it's hard for me. It's hard for me to like really mark points against it for that. But I, I think that uh Well, I think one interesting thing about Speaking of nuance is one critical, very minor scene after Rocky escapes the house. Uh, they cut to the airport where she's with her sister, I think. Yeah. And uh, they have a news report of what uh, happened. They found the aftermath. We learned that he survived. Well, not only that he survived, but they paint the picture that he is the victim. Yeah, And I, I kind of like the nuance of, to an outside observer, seeing the aftermath of what Old is Old blind there man robbed, yeah. Is, is sympathetic, but in the direct situation, it is very not sympathetic. I see where you're coming from. That kind of bothers me at the end, because it, it almost feels a little bit unrealistic. Like, there's no way that they wouldn't have found his dungeon when they searched the house. Like, there's no way they wouldn't have found, like, the weird harness and, like, the padded room where somebody's obviously been restrained. They'd find the turkey baster full of cum lying on the floor. There's no way that the police investigating the situation would look at this and think, like, yeah, this is kosher. This is cool. So it's, like, in a sense, to to try well, to have the news report, like... Here's the thing, though. Like, We're actually... I, I do think that there is a small degree of validity to it is it's his house so i don't know if there would be a full-blown investigation at the the hands of whatever budget the the detroit police has force has because like it it is his own house like that was broken into i don't know how thorough of a search right, would but be he done. was in the basement he fell down there and the gun misfired and shot him so when they found him they would have found him down there oh yeah yeah, you're right. He was in the basement, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Like with the sex harness. Oh, yeah, weird. In yeah. some respects, you know, it seems like they were trying to do the, the Halloween-esque thing of... Oh, also, you know, the, the girl yeah. who was who died, like, she she had the... She was bound and, like, had the gag and everything. Like, yeah, yeah no, you're, you're so right. Yeah, like, they're even... Yeah, even, like, a non they would have They would have found Money's body not only with the gunshot that killed him, but also, like, the gardening shears, like, stabbed into his body, like... Like, 
Not to give too much credit to cops, but like any cop, I feel like any cop worth their salt would look at this situation and say, like, there's way more going on here than we're being told. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. maybe it's just indicative of like how the system fails in in those kinds of regards, which it certainly does all the time. But if that's the way you're going to if that's the way you're going to paint it, then like I think have some more intent with that, you know, show how the system failed, how the system overlooked these, like the, the sex dungeon. Yeah. And shit that's, like that. that's a really good point. I, one thing I do want to say to kind of capstone the whole Turkey baster sex dungeon stuff is I feel like a lot of the revenge thriller, rape revenge stuff mm-hmm. in horror movies is a little tired at this point and sure. done but it it's very exploitative and it's focused on you know the family of the victim taking vengeance at any cost and i i feel like in some respects this movie takes that and emphasizes the evil of taking vengeance to such a respect um yeah and i think that is kind of interesting in itself i think its methods of doing so are definitely pulpy and a little sleazy but i think this movie is so stylish that it finds a way to get away with it the style is a worthwhile point since we've capstoned that uh topic i think that so many of the good graces of this film right on on its production value as we've said before the premise alone i think is nothing um to really uh turn heads but the making of this movie is where it shines the most the cinematography the lighting the the acting all of the production level stuff is tight it's yeah. clean it's well made and that's i think that's why this this film is like elevated to the, any degree the attention uh, to detail because yeah. man if it wasn't like i yeah it, it would it would just be another like page you know there would be some some things that i think would be harder to forgive yeah like yeah. there's there's really so much done well in execution um, and that attention to detail that I was talking about earlier, like when he knows that there are more than one burglar because he finds their shoes at the back door because they took their shoes off to walk through or that when he finally like, uh, you know, has his his monologue in that turkey baster scene, his voice is kind of like weak and cracked and disused. Sounds like Bane. He's got, he's got a little Bane thing going think the on. darkness was your ally. <laughs> Um, but like he's been living alone for years, you know, he had probably has not been using his voice. He Mm -hmm. doesn't talk. So like, it's just like all of those little things. Like I said, it goes to show that they thought about all of this. Yes. Like, which it's, it's little details that in, in and of themselves don't mean much, but like add up to like, there was was intent, even more direct things like her ladybug tattoo. Yeah. I thought that that's one element where worst director's hands would have been corny as hell. But I think because of how stylish and how tightly paced this movie is and, you know, well executed it is, I think it works really well. I did. I did enjoy the ladybug premise where we get her backstory of uh, having been locked in the trunk of the car, like because uh, her mother was like, a, like basically like uh, abusing her and uh, how like a ladybug landed on her finger one time and it kept her company there. And so ladybugs are very important to her and it gives her a familiar familiarity with the trunks of cars, which is cool. As later on when she escapes out of the house for the first 
time. She's being chased by the big old Rottweiler, who's a God, very good boy. I fucking... He's a very good boy. Very good boy, but also I just fucking love that scene. It's like she gets outside, He the, the, the blind man comes out on his porch, and she's like shouting at him. He's like, I got away. There's nothing you can do. You're you useless. have no power right. here. You're, you, you're useless out here. And then it just like cuts back to him, and then the dog runs out the, <laughs> the door and just starts chasing her. It's like, yeah, you forgot about good boy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and so she gets chased by the very good boy into the uh, the car, their escape vehicle, but the key, you know, they don't have the key there. Uh, and she comes up with this clever scheme of uh, luring the dog into the trunk so she can get out. And I love that. Like, and it's it's mm-hmm. so, once again, it's so meticulously thought out. You get a sense of the whole, the, the mechanics of the scene, which I'm a big fan of. Puzz- puzzles. Love them. Love me a puzzle. And uh, <laughs> and it's the payoff uh, for the ladybug thing, which I do think the setup, it's like, oh, is that a new tattoo? Yeah, it's a ladybug because I was locked in a trunk. Like, I think that that... I think it's kind of fun. Like, the, setup, the setup is sappy and hokey, and I don't like it, but the payoff makes it worthwhile. Right, yeah. And it's well, like, it's, well, it's, and it's you know, back to the it. trunk, like, and the ladybug comes right. back and flies onto her finger. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, after she looks at the ladybug, she sees right outside of her view the leash... That she uses for the trunk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so um, and I like that she deals with the dog without killing it. Yeah. Right. Because well, then we couldn't like her. That's the thing. I mean, like we sure, sure we could. I mean, mm. she she was she's in danger of death. Like she's protecting herself. I mean, like it would be yes. easy. It would be easy to have her shoot the dog or something. Yeah. But I mean, morally, like she'd be in the right. But I mean, like. We're talking about movie rules. Like, I don't think it would. I don't think it would. You make, can't kill a dog and be a good guy. I don't think it would make me dislike her if she had killed the dog, but it makes you like her more that she doesn't. Yes, absolutely, mm-hmm. full agree there. Now, I will say that it does. It's a small. It's a very small nitpick, but I do think it's funny that in a film that's so mechanically minded and thinks through all the little minutia, that we would get such a, a world breaking rule as her bending over to like get the leash out of the trunk. And for her pants, which have been cut open at this point, like, to not have any rips in them. Oh, just a scrap of pussy. Like, just a crumb. Just a crumb, please. <laughs> uh, like, I just, just, I just think it was weird that, like, that was in the shot at all. We get a view of her posterior when, like, the, you just don't have that in the shot. Like, Honestly, I, I don't, I don't see, because, like, her pants have been ripped open and there's no rip. And it's just, like, that's a big point in the film. That, and that I, continuity you know. error bothers me less than the fact that she beats him by turning on the alarm system oh, in yeah. his house. Big point. And, uh, oh, no, it's too loud. Now he's deafened oh no even though he's been firing handguns in enclosed spaces for the last like literally all night in the movie from like for just (laughs) hours like especially the revolver that he gets from like under his bed that's like a fucking 357 that's a fucking hand cannon i think it would have blown out his fucking eardrums firing that in the basement to make an excuse for the film i think that works in that it's not necessarily that it's too loud for his ears, but that he... It's coming from everywhere. Well, yeah, like, like it is disorienting him. For sure. And he's not in agony there uh, because of the pain of the sound. He's in agony because he's been foiled and he's mentally unstable. I can like, get I think that. that's why. So I- I'm willing to give that a pass. 
I can get down with. I really give all of it a pass. But even so, like the fact that he would be able to, so much of the film hinges upon him like finding them from his like acute sense of of hearing Mm -hmm. and in the basement he's just running around firing this gun willy-nilly and like that would be extremely loud (laughs) like at the very least he would have a really bad case of tinnitus which would make it a lot (laughs) a lot harder to hear people yeah it's it's a weird judgment gap because early on in the movie, we see Money use a water bottle as a makeshift silencer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so Which, there, there was a little thought into the sound of guns, and then that was kind of just promptly, promptly forgotten. Yeah, I mean, it's a minor thing. Like, it was a cool shot with the water bottle. Yeah, you know, get all the smoke coming out of it. Anyway, um, I don't think I have anything else. I was gonna say, is it time to rate? Yeah, sound yeah. design good. Uh, score is great. I love, I love me some industrial tension building, mood setting music. I will say, I, I mentioned the audience earlier, and I don't think I've heard quite a gasp from the audience as when the turkey baster first came out. Yeah, um, that's true. So I'll, I'll I mean, give, it uh, is shocking. Like, like there, there's no contention there. <laughs> Like we 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 definitely I think we all agree it was shocking. I just uh, they got a pop from the audience bigger than I've seen in a lot of horror movies in the past decade or so. Well, do you want to rate Ben? Sure. You go first? Yeah. Uh, I think this movie is fantastic. Uh, I think it's the perfect balance between tight thriller and pulpy genre film. It's such a perfectly stylized movie. The style is so in the forefront, but it never feels particularly style over substance. It feels really economical. The The whole film is super tight in pacing and uh, building the world and building the environment. Um, I think it's just really, really intelligently made and uh, thoughtful in terms of detail. I think the sound design and uh, the score are both great and the acting is fantastic. I I could, you know, praise this movie for a really long time. Uh, it, I, obviously, it's number eight in my top ten of the decade. It's going to be really hard not to give this movie a five, but I'm going to give it a four and a half. You guys made some good points. Uh, I think uh, it's a really fantastic film, though, and I would absolutely recommend it. Cleveman. It's pretty good. Uh, worth watching. Uh, I'm going to give it a four. I thought it was pretty good. Nice. Uh, yeah, I really like this movie. Uh, it definitely um, has aged well, I think. Mm-hmm. It got a lot of the same reactions out of me as the last time I saw it about four years ago. Really well constructed. I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five as well, um, just for you know, docket minor points for like the, the gun thing. Uh, and also like, I do, I do still question the necessity of like some of the, the shock value stuff, despite how well, uh, it's executed, but, um, yeah, a really meticulously made film, uh, definitely, uh, Fede Alvarez's best that I have seen. Uh, but that will give Don't Breathe an average rating of 4.3 out of 5 pods. Next week, it's my choice again, and I fancied a bit of the ultraviolence. 
So, uh, <laughs> no, sorry, no, Clockwork Orange isn't a horror movie. Oh, you got my hopes uh, up for a second. Uh, I was like, because I was, it was going through my head. I was like, is that a horror film? Does that count? Because no. I've, I've read the book twice. Like, yeah, I, uh, no. yeah, I'm, I'm quite familiar. But I, I do fancy a, a touch of the ultra violence. Uh, and, uh, so. I want to watch and talk about the Korean revenge thriller slash horror, I Saw the Devil. Oh, awesome. I actually just watched this movie like two or three days ago. Oh, really? That was the first time. So, <laughs> that was the first time. I thought, I could have sworn we watched it together in college. Yeah, um, so I'm super excited to talk about this movie. Yeah, um, it's I, fucking awesome. Yeah, I I think there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I have a I have a lot of love for like Korean revenge dramas, and this is the one that uh, most firmly also crosses the line into horror. Uh, mm-hmm. So I figured it would be a good uh, a good chance, and also because I haven't seen it in years, and I really just want to watch it again. Uh, so yeah, that'll be next week. Uh, Cleveland, do we have a sponsor? Oh, I saw where you were going there for a second. I'm yeah. gonna stop. <laughs> That's why I said, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." This is like my brain went one direction. No, no. Not cummy based. I've done. Yeah, no. I've I've done. Uh, I've done things in poor taste before, but I, I think I I, sh- I should probably draw a line somewhere, and I think that's where. Um, uh, this episode is brought to you by Charleston. Chubles, uh, uh, yarn. When you need to draw a line in the sand, but the sand is too dense to draw in, put down a line of yarn instead. A Charleston chubble. It's not edible. No relation. <laughs> wow. Fantastic. Yep, you're welcome for that piece of nonsense. <laughs> uh, speaking of nonsense, if you like the show, share an episode with your friends. Maybe don't start with this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> Probably not. Uh, but you can, uh, we have a, a huge backlog of uh, stuff to check out. You can listen to more of our episodes if you haven't already. That's a good one. Uh, uh, Greasy Strangler is probably still our, uh, <laughs> I, th- I think it's our best episode. Like, I'm, I'm quite proud of that it's one. Probably our most popular. Yeah. So, uh, um, uh, I mean,. God, I hate that film, but it. I think I think it did generate good content out of us. Unforgettable. But anyway, uh, leave us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts and a nice review. You can follow us on Twitter at Pod People Pod and let us know how you feel about the show. The yep. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> you can follow us on Letterbox too at letterboxcom slash podpeoplepod for a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those episodes. You can find me on Twitter at Deep State Aussie. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. And I'm rarely tweeting for LiDAR Studio as we continue to put out progress on our new, our next game, uh, 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 our next big uh, up date to it stares back there it is got there <laughs> and uh that's that's what matters people are here for the journey you know yeah uh and uh you can also key into my work on art station uh if you like spooky thrills and chills um uh commissions are open uh as of the time of recording uh just search cleveland Mosier and i should pop right up um and uh yeah and i i didn't talk about it stares back enough it's really good you should we're in early access on steam that those are the words i'm supposed to say here yep and that's it 
All right. Well, until next time, uh, remember, breathe. Remember to keep breathing. Yep. Bye.